How do we handle catastrophes, disasters, times of great trauma? Special guest Kevin Ellers joins us on the Faithful and True podcast today to tell you how. Podcast. We are very uh, pleased today to have a very special guest with us. Kevin Ellers is joining us, and Kevin has got uh, one of the more impressive resumes I've ever seen. He he has shortened it for me today to he is a lover of horses, his wife, and God. Uh, not necessarily in that order, um, uh, but he also mentions that he loves his kids. Um, Kevin is the Territorial Disaster Services Coordinator for the Salvation Army. And uh, he's also president and founder of the Institute for Compassionate Care and Reset Life Coaching, which are dedicated to equine-assisted coaching for personal and professional growth and trauma healing. We're excited to hear all about that. Kevin, thank you for joining us for these podcasts today. Uh, yes. always enjoy talking about my free, three, or I should say four favorite things with uh, God and horses and my wife and not in that order. I think my wife needs to be second. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wise man, Kevin. That's right. That's right. Well, I want to just jump in real quickly and say that uh, when I stopped to visit Kevin and his wife, Jennifer, on their new hobby farm with their horses and actually a lot more animals than just horses, I found out. We have goats and chickens and cats <laughs> and all kinds of lovely animals that I got to meet. But um, as, as soon as I met you that day, Kevin on your farm. I, I knew we needed to have you as a guest on our podcast to tell us about equine therapy. And I know you're also an expert along with Jennifer on crisis. So we'll we'll include some of that. And I'm going to turn it over to Greg to ask the Absolutely. questions. Well, and um, we are going to be able to do two podcasts. And so I think a good place for us to start is the work that you've done um, in navigating and helping people move through crisis and so just as you understand your role when there's a crisis, what do you see your responsibility or role to respond in those situations? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I've worked with the Salvation Army for over 20 years now, getting close to 25 years, and a number of different situations. So um, I head up for our 11 central states, basically starts at Kansas on the west side and goes over to Indiana up to the northern side. Um, our, uh, our disaster response, we have 10 divisions, and there's 11 states, and then I head up our crisis response and our chaplaincy program as well. So, you know, there's a lot of groups that come together to provide help in times of crisis. Some of us, you know, do like physical feeding and hydration and sheltering. And uh, my focus has always been, in addition to providing those things, you know, I really have had a heart and passion for helping people through the rough times emotionally and spiritually. And a lot of times that gets left out. What happens, you know, when people are in that survival uh, mechanism, you know, they, they would get hyper-focused on meeting those basic needs, which is really important. Mm -hmm. William Booth had a, a three S's that he talked about many years ago. He talked about soup, soap, and salvation in that order. <laughs> and so, you know, as he said, you can't talk to people about God or their emotional stuff if they're really hungry or they're scared and this type of stuff. So, you know, whatever we do, we really try to, with the Salvation Army and a lot of our other faith-based groups we, we work with try to meet those emotional and spiritual needs as, as well, because that's really, really important. And especially we find as people get, you know, or they're, they're 
So, you know, we talk about like the stressors when you don't have those basic needs met, it really exacerbates people's capacity, you know, their stressors, and then it really diminishes the capacity to care for themselves and others. Mm -hmm. And so what we found um, is that meeting those those basic needs is really important to meeting the emotional, spiritual needs, because when they're calmer and they, they have those needs met, then they can, you know, they're able to make a better, better response. Right. Well, and what I hear you saying is that you kind of first approach that safety and whatever it takes to create safety, then that safety space allows people then to look beyond their circumstances and maybe look inwardly to see what's going on, but also yeah. look outside in faith and other reactions um, to, to move through the experience holistically. Because what we know in the work that we do is if we don't fully engage the, the crisis or the trauma that we've experienced, whatever we don't address will linger with us and resurface at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And we'll talk about more of it in the next segment when we talk about the horses. But, um, you know, when, when people are in that uh, situation where their life is literally in danger or they've had people die or whatever, you know, they go to a different part of the brain and their body reacts very, very differently. You know, the amygdala, hippocampus and all that stuff, if they're in that kind of that flight or that fight or that freeze mode. And so, yeah, you're 100% right. The first thing, and we have a course, a 14-hour course called Spiritual and Psychological First Aid that I wrote out of my doctoral program um, that we teach with the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. Their curriculum is called Critical Incident Stress Management. And the first P we talk about, there's 10 P's in that class, but the first P is the element of, of, of presence. Mm -hmm. The second P is protecting, and the third P is providing for those basic needs. And so really it is in that order, because you're right. If, if, if they don't feel safe, you really can't do anything more with them. So that's one of the first things that we assess. Um, and that safety also comes by really being a, 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 a practical, healing, calm presence. And so a lot of times I've seen this with, you know, when the, the national uh, groups come in or the local groups for providing care after a disaster, whether it's a hurricane or a tornado or a flood. You know, it's really interesting. Those first crews who come in there, they may not have that many resources because they don't know what's needed, but they generally have some meals and hydration and snacks and that type of stuff. But it's just it's interesting to watch people just kind of calm as those trucks just roll in like, okay. Somebody's coming to help, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's a great metaphor for us, whether we're helping with people with sexual trauma or uh, whatever has happened. It's just for us to be able to just really stop to focus on where we're at and to be present with them is so, so critical. Well, it's that imagery of we are not alone. You know, right. I, I've never been through a natural disaster, but I can imagine if I'm sitting in a space that was my home that may no longer be safe, you know, I'm surrounded by destruction and these people come in and they drive up in these vehicles, it just reminds me, okay, I'm not alone in this, which really is yeah. the first step in creating safety. Yeah, yeah. And you see it all through Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the one common theme that I see with God, you know, we don't, we're not always rescued from difficult or adversity or people can do bad things or whatever, but the whole theme is, I will be with you. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's consistent throughout through all of it, and and I so I so I love about it, and that's the whole message of God, you know, coming to Earth, you know, through through Jesus, and it's like, okay, hey, I'm here, you know, I'm suffering with you, I know what similar to what you're going through, and that we, I think people take 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 um you know solace in that, right? You know, we we are in the midst of the pandemic, and so one of the questions that I have is, what have you seen the difference between? like a circumstantial crisis that comes on quickly, like you mentioned, a natural disaster, a fire, 
something like that versus kind of a slow moving destructive force like a pandemic, do you see a difference in the way people respond and their needs or really is it similar because they, whatever is the source of the crisis, our reaction and response is the same? This is different than anything I've ever experienced. I mean, I've been to shootings, I've been to bombings, I've been to, you know, huge hurricanes, flood. I mean, just a gamut over the past 20-some years. Um, this just kind of blows away everything else we've ever experienced because the widespread, overarching, far-reaching element of how this has impacted pretty much every organization, every family, you know, uh, every individual. And so typically what, what I have found, one of the biggest things is when you're going through some type of a stressor, um, we call it a critical incident uh, in the crisis response world, you know, usually people are able to rally around us who are not in that similar crisis. So if somebody mm-hmm. dies, your neighbors, your family, your friends, those who work with, whatever, they all show up for you, right? If your house burns down, you know, the people whose house didn't burn around, around you, then they can come help you. With this pandemic, it's like it's so widespread that like everybody's in a state of crisis at different levels, of course, but, right. but it's the impact everybody. And then the whole element of the social isolation has been huge. One of the things we started was a crisis hotline in the Salvation Army for our crisis response team. And so some of the calls came in there repeatedly. There is a theme of anxiety, of not knowing what's coming up, but then being disconnected from the people that they love in the way that they were used to. And that's a really important part of it. There are some people who are able to adapt and go through Zoom or social media or phone calls or whatever, but it's just not the same, you know. Uh, and so it, it has been very, very, very challenging with that. Uh, and you, you mentioned another point. You talk about there's a difference in types of disasters. There are the sudden onset types of disasters or critical incidents, and there's a long long term. It's the same with grief as well. If somebody dies suddenly in a car accident, that's different, you know, from dying for 12 years of cancer. Somebody, you know, who has like a, like a hurricane, you can see it out in the, on the coast, it's coming in, you can watch it on the map, it's got two days, one day, 24 hours, you know, three hours, you have time to mostly prepare for it. But when a flash flood comes through a town and wipes out the entire town, you know, it, it, people aren't psychologically prepared for it. The term that we use a lot is putting on your psychological body armor, mm-hmm. you know, and so, yeah, Greg, there's a huge difference in how that impacts people and sense of safety and just being able to prepare emotion for it, which is very critical. You know, one one thing I'm aware of is kind of what you were talking about is kind of the traditional response to a crisis is those with abundance provide for those in the scarcity. Mm -hmm. And what's true with the pandemic is everybody is experiencing some level of scarcity. So the new model is everybody's trying to give out of their scarcity and those who have lost less are trying to give more. But I think mm-hmm. it's been so disruptive to everyone that even, you know, like the Salvation Army and the organizations that you work with, y'all are trying to serve while at the same time experiencing the chaos. I, I guess a similar thing would be if the Salvation Army facility was hit by a tornado, they would still be trying to serve, but they would also be victims of the tor- tornado simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. And that has been a case. A lot of, I mean, some of our, our workers who are serving on the front lines trying to distribute, you know, rental assistance and housing assistance and food and water, you know, they have a wife, you know, who's, who's home. So they have to be home because they're quarantined and they're trying to do it by phone, you know, or they've had somebody just, just, just die or, you know, we've had to, to let staff go. So, uh, but it is amazing how God has provided through this, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's, it's the economy has been hit really hard. 
but some people have stepped up to the plate, you know, and helped us to, to meet some of those critical, critical needs, which is really, really important. And for the organizations, nonprofits, I mean, this, this, like, this hit every single part of the Salvation Army, like from our children's to our adult to our, you know, our social services to our disaster stuff. So it's just where we're able to draw on other resources. We haven't been able to do that because everybody's busy. Usually if a disaster happens, we can draw from the social services department or the youth department or whatever. But now everybody's so busy trying to take care of their stuff. It's been challenging. So I think, yes, yeah, so I think the, the nonprofits have really struggled and our people are tired. Mm-hmm. You know? what, so yeah. what has it been like for you to try to do your job responding to to disasters because we've had disasters in this year of the pandemic while also navigating the pandemic. Yeah. Do I talk about me personally? You personally, but also the organization and the team that you work with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll talk first about my, myself personally. You know, I, I was very blessed before this thing happened um, about a year before I had gone down with Dr. Gary Oliver and the John Brown university. They have this, uh, this this retreat for Christian leaders and pastors, and it's a very small group. You have about six to eight, eight men together, and you, you work through this stuff. And so they had really challenged some stuff. And one thing I've really been challenged on is not living for the future, but just living in the moment, thanking God for the blessings. And so I had really started these, these spiritual practices, you know, on a weekly, daily basis, and trying to incorporate this stuff. And one of the things I've always lived is always tend to live for the future. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get here and trying to get there. You know, I'm a high energy person. I've got lots of stuff going on. <laughs> given time and so even but, now i can sense your energy <laughs> <laughs> yeah just just everybody's always telling me slow down talk slower you know that's really hard for me um but i really started getting that place and that's my about the horses and stuff and so you know what's really interesting is is i i think because of this work that i had done beforehand i was able to withstand this very different actually you know this past year and i really hesitate to say this to too many people because um, I feel guilty has been a really good year for me, mostly experiencing relation. I got to stay home with my wife and my horses. You know, I saved two hours a day, you know, kind of driving back and forth with the commute because we were working from home a lot. You know, I, there was some sadness. We had relatives die and some other things. But I think, you know, this is a really strong lesson for us, I think, of what I've learned because I work so hard with my clients to teach this. And I got to really see the benefits of this personally is one of the biggest things we look for in, in, in how somebody's going to do after a disaster or a critical incident is how they were doing before. Mm-hmm. Because those things that they had learned and those patterns and those resources and things really can help to withstand. And I think what I've drawn away with this and from an organization, the same way as the Salvation Army, is we have worked for the past couple of years really hard to build our training programs, to attract good people and to really train them to a standard and to try to mentor them. And I think it, it really did pay, pay off, you know, for us as we're able to, to get through that and our people are doing okay. So I think it's whether, you know, regardless of the circumstance, that can be applied toward those and I think it's a lesson it's a lesson learned so I'm, you know I'm thankful that God gave us the opportunity to be able to have the resources people and funds to be able to help so many people and that's really been great um, so one one thing I've heard is that when you go through a crisis it provides an opportunity for you to recalibrate around your priorities you know it's mm-hmm. kind of like you 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 were confronted with what really is important to me so I've lost property I've lost things that I possessions that I care about, and yet I recognize that the people in my life are the priority. Do you see that happening both in the the crisis of a disaster, but also in the pandemic, where for all of us, there has been some recalibration around what is important? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's been a theme that I've seen for many years, Greg. I remember after Hurricane Katrina, um, I had gone gone down there in those early days, and we actually sent a ton of people up from the Central Territory down to help us, what if that, that's our Southern Territory, uh, for emotional, spiritual care, and all other types of support. But I had gone down uh, probably about three three months into it with my video camera, and I was capturing some interviews about the impact that that had had on people. And um, one of the things I was letting just letting people talk, you know, how has this impacted you? And uh, one of the women uh, came up to me and she said, I'll, you know, I'd like to be interviewed. She said, I have, you know, would like to talk about this. And she had been one of the Salvation Army employees. And, um, and uh, she had said, in the middle of the interview, she said, you don't remember me, do you? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've seen a thousand people in the last months. And um, she said, I, she started describing, you know, I'd actually gone down to do a critical interesting briefing with the staff. They had had some horrible stuff happen in their area, and people had died, and they had actually had to walk across, you know, past bodies coming in and everything. And so they, they were pretty traumatized. So I'd gone down to lead a, a critical distressing briefing with them afterward. It had gone really well, and they were doing really well. And so she, she was describing herself and as she was talking and she said I said I, I, I said I said this is really unusual I often forget names but I don't forget faces very very often and she said that's because I look different and I said tell me about that and she described herself and where she had been sitting and I remember and she said let me so I said well tell me what's changed with you she said well I lost like 50 pounds and she started talking about it and, and out of that she had had some really major life changes like she had reevaluated her life she reevaluated her relationship with her God you know she evaluated her mission on earth and she had really come to a newfound conclusion and kind of almost a new zest in life and it really transformed how I was dealing with people because Prior to that, a lot of the crisis intervention work was focused on the adverse or the negative impacts that disasters have on people. And I really begin to think, you know, we need to focus on that, too, to hear that. That's an important part of hearing the story. But we've got to ask some resilience questions. We've got to ask them, hey, what have you learned? Now, obviously, you don't want to do this the day after somebody dies, right? right? You know, but as the weeks and the months and the years go on, to come back and ask people. And that's why I've shifted more into a life coaching perspective of people now versus the counting perspective, because some of it is, is, is helping them to say, okay, so this has happened to you. Where are we going from, from here now? And you're a unique individual, and that's what I think a coach does is try to pull out this person their unique aspects and their talents and how they approach stuff to help them to move forward. But, yeah, Greg, that's a, that's a common theme. It's a really important, important focus. <laughs> well, yeah. I was going to say, I would just jump in to say that, you know, that, that is exactly what we try to focus on here, too, at Faithful and True, mm-hmm. is, you know, what, what will we learn through the adversity yeah. that brings people oh. here. And granted, it starts out with a different tragedy of sexual addiction in a relationship. And the right. timing is right, too, like you say. You, can, you can't be asking a lot of those questions on week one. Um, and we can know, too, that we thoroughly believe in the post-traumatic growth that will come in terms of a stronger self and richer relationships and change priorities and and a greater spiritual journey. So very similar to what you're experiencing in other crisis situations. Yeah, yeah. I I think after, you know, now 30 years of doing this stuff, is uh, what I've found is I think these types of incidents have, uh, uh, people have a pivotal pivotal point. You know, I think what it does, it, it opens our eyes and it wakes us up. And we'll talk about this in the next segment more of the horses. Um, but but we have a choice. And I remember when my clients saying this before, and I've heard this many years since then, um, is, you know, we have a choice to become bitter or better. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that whole piece of that, I think it does, it can give people a greater appreciation of life. And I love what you said with that, Deb, because I think for many years I talked about resilience, and I think I find myself in my language talking now more about post-traumatic growth because mm -hmm. resilience is often people describe it as bouncing back. But I think, yes. you know, that, that post-traumatic growth is a step beyond. It's, mm -hmm. it's really making some second-order change, some, some transformation where, you know, where people can really can grow from this, mostly relationally and spiritually. Yes. But sometimes they need to be woken up by some of these tough things. Yeah. Well, so I, I have a question. Do you... In, in the work that you've done through the years, are you able to identify the attributes that are necessary or are present that makes it possible for a person to steward a crisis for greater growth? Like in the early days, can you be talking to somebody and have a sense, I think they're going to be okay or they are going to grow from this. And then you talk to somebody else and you have that concern. I'm not sure they're going to be able to steward this? Are there any attributes or anything from your perspective that gives you that sense of how somebody's going to navigate it? Uh, yeah, there are a number. There's a, the, the, we have a course called Spiritual Psychological First Aid. That's another course. We talk a lot about that. One of the things is on resilience. But I think it, 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 when we talk about that with my basics, is one of the things is, is that person able to be flexible and adaptable? You know, um, are they able to kind of stop and take a look at this? And are they able to make changes? The more rigid a person is, the harder it is to be able to flow with that. It's one of the interesting things, too, is that that came up in the resilience research and post-traumatic growth was, uh, was, was that extroverts often do better. It's really interesting because um, extroverts, you know, live in the outer world. They process in the outer world and are refueled by the outer world. So we, I really begin to look at that say, why do extroverts, you know, often do better with that? Well, there's a couple reasons because extroverts – process stuff externally. So if you're around, an, there's no saying, I used to use therapy for many years. If you're around an extrovert, you don't know something you haven't listened. <laughs> if you're around an introvert, you know something you haven't asked, right? And so, so I don't know necessarily about the extroversion trait, but extroverts are able to, 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 to kind of get it out there so people are aware of it and then they come to add support. Uh, it also gets it out of themselves too. You know, so that they, they 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 can process it, and so there's a there's a number of different factors. We could do a whole podcast on on that. Um, and then another thing is how people utilize the social support, how they draw on their kind of internal and external resources. Um, uh, oh man, I'm trying to think of a, there's a whole list of stuff I go through, but those are some of some of the yeah. key, the key you know, things. Can they shift and adapt? Is a big big one. It's interesting. I was reminded as you were talking of one of the things that a therapist told me early in my own recovery is he said, I have hope for you because you have resources in place. Yeah. And so many of the men that come through my office don't have those resources. Yeah. And so first we have to get those resources. And, and it's kind of like what you're, you're saying is prior to the crisis, does the person have access to resources that they can continue to you utilize or replace in the, the crisis, in the situation that they're in. Yeah, yeah. Resource assessment, Greg, is really, really critical. And one of the things I do, I can't show it on the screen, but what I do is for people is I take a, uh, take a piece of paper and I draw a circle in the middle of the page. And I'll say, this is you. And so then um, I, I talk about, I say, you have, pro you have, you know, most people are adults when I'm working with this stuff. I say, you know, as an adult, you probably had some other setbacks and difficulties and things you've gone through that are adversity. You know, how do, what got you through those things? Who was it and how did they help you? And so they might say, oh, it's my church. Say, okay, so I make a spoke out and I put a circle in there. 
um, and then it's like an eco map type thing. And then I'll say the whole church. Oh no, we're at a church of twenty thousand people. Okay, well I have a small group. Well, we're Sunday school class. How big is that? Okay, twenty. There's a hundred people on that. Okay, that's where I break that in the next circle. Then well, is there a smaller group? And I keep going down till I start putting people's actual names. Let's talk about your sister Jane. You know, how did Jane help you? What did she bring to you? Does does Jane aware of this? Because what happens a lot of times, especially in the crisis part of this. People are so overwhelmed with that they've not connected within these resources. So what I see myself a lot of times is a connector. Mm-hmm. And I, if you think of this, the visualization I use in class is a kind of a cross. You know, there's a vertical and there's a horizontal. So I'm trying to connect them um, vertically to God and then horizontally to other people. And those um, part of my reset life coaching, the E and before the T is is looking at the E, the endogenous and the exogenous. So the mm-hmm. internal and external things. Sometimes you hear people say. Um, you know, hey, you have everything you need within you. I don't really believe that's true. Right. I think God has designed us to, with a lot of capacity internally, but we need other people, and we need God, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when people are in a state of crisis, I can help them to to reach out and pull on those external resources and then pull on those internal resources that God has given them and they adapt and they cope with in their own ways, it, then that's the people who are the most successful. But they often need help navigating that and, and connecting. Mm-hmm. Well, and as you've spoken, I mean, for both... Deb and I, there's so much correlation between what you do and what we do. You may have more of a geographic terrain that you work on, and we may work in more of a relational terrain. But when there are those disasters, those crises, just some of those same principles apply. And oh, so yeah. we, we look forward to continuing the conversation, as you've alluded to, and as we'll set up. And we're going to have a follow-up podcast where we're going to talk specifically about equine therapy and the work that you've been doing in that. So we look forward to that. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. We look forward to rejoining uh, with you, as uh, Greg just said, on this follow-up podcast. For our listeners, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. We are positive that uh, the knowledge and experience that's been shared by Kevin has been beneficial to you. We'd like to remind you again that... uh, To visit our new YouTube channel, the Faithful and True channel, please subscribe if you will. Click on the like, and uh, we appreciate that level of support as we continue to try to get our message of hope and healing out to you. Uh, Until uh, we meet you again on our next podcast, we invite you to visit FaithfulandTrue.com where you'll find a lot of uh, free resources and the opportunity to register for the Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops as well as the workshops that we have for the spouses. And uh, we've got some plans coming up as soon as the pandemic uh, finally uh, allows us uh, to get back to helping couples as well. So until then, uh, thank you very much. We hope that this coming week for you is going to be a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.